First question I want to ask you, uh, this is a two-part question. Okay. When you got to the ABA, who was the first person to bust your ass? And when you got to the NBA, who was the first person to bust your ass? I'm still waiting. Straight up. Okay. Straight up. You did all the ass I'm really up. still waiting. But you know what? Ron Ron Harper did sneak a dunk in on me because I thought I was a shot block. Oh, okay. And that was my last year, his first year. Mm. Uh, so it took a long time. I do remember uh, Buck Williams hitting me with an elbow <laughs> in my chest, and I lost my breath, and I never was able to get him back. He was kind of big anyway, 6'10", and pretty yeah. strong. So my my enforcer would sleep on the job that particular day. So, so, so this is the better question, though. Was, the, was, it, was there even a foul call, which I highly doubt, or you just got caught with Hey, one? man, nah, nah, there wasn't no foul. Yeah, it wasn't none of that then. But let, me, let me, but let me go back to the ABA thing. Because uh, there were two guys, Warren Jabali. Warren Jabali. And Jumpin' Joe Caldwell. Okay. Jumpin Pogo Joe. Joe. They call him Pogo Straight Joe. Up Pogo Joe. <laughs> I like so that. I think I averaged like 28 against the rest of the league, but those two guys, I think I averaged like 24. So they wasn't really just busting me, but a four-point difference in the scoring average is worthy of note. Right, right. Yeah. And, yeah. and they and they were both, one was 6'4", Jabali was 6'4", Joe six five, and at the end of the game, I would have like a red mark where I'd be hand checked hmm. by those yeah. two guys. Oh, yeah. The whole Grab game, they never, you never went anywhere without that hand coming on you. Both of them had a claw like grip, and mm-hmm. you see yeah, the bruises. Claw. You see the bruises, man. Yeah. The referee wasn't calling, so you know, it's, it's like you had to, you had to protect yourself. Yo, 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 we live on location, man. This one today, me and D Miles is staying our ass at home. We still here in Orlando being out the way, but this is so super special today, man. We got basketball royalty. We got one of the real OGs, goats real goats, goats in the game. Name, name ring bells everywhere. Jersey's retired, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? ABA champion, <laughs> NBA champion, man. And he's a doctor, y'all. We got Julius, the doctor. <laughs> Irving in the building. Thank you, OG, for joining us, man. You don't even know how much this means to us. Brought to you by Thigh Stop. How do you look at the current NBA and how much of advantage of an advantage do the offensive player have over the defensive player with all of these new rules and, the, and all of the stuff yeah. that's going on? Yeah, you you right on with that uh, offensively. Uh, huge advantage. Uh, that's why you see so much dancing. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean like, like with Casa dancing, you know, like back in the day, a dude would just take a shot at you. Just check you. Man, just check like, you right in your chest. Like, just like, uh, check you right I'm, in your I'm chest. Take, I'm taking a foul. You're out here dancing on me, yeah. embarrassing me like we had a nightclub or something or whatever. <laughs> you dancing. Uh, nah, they wasn't having that. Oscar Robinson definitely wasn't having it. You know? There you go. <laughs> he popped he pop a cat in a minute. You know, he was 6'5", six, six, 215. When 6'5", 215, and muscular was big and strong. Right, right. You know, right. not so big and strong now. You know, now you got to be like 260 to be considered yeah. big and strong. But, yeah. uh, but you know, I'll be involved with the game. Mm-hmm. 
So when I, you know, center grab a rebound, dribble it up court, start the offense at the top of the key, you know, with a little handoff, and then go down and spot up in the corner. It was like, when you gonna put your feet in the paint, big fella? You know, you're seven, you're seven feet. You're seven feet tall, yeah. you know, but that's the way it is. The game has evolved. Fortunately, the coaches have kept pace. Absolutely. With the changes in the game and the fact that it's played differently. You know, yeah. it's played outside in. And there's a lot of fan appeal, you know, who want to see the three ball go up. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I don't think everybody should have a license to, to shoot it. <laughs> but. Yeah. But, and that's obvious sometimes, you know, you see some some of those shots. Mm-hmm. Hey, but, this, but, this day and age, they make you get your permit. They make you get your permit on shooting. <laughs> you got to shoot the ball. That pressure on Yeah, you. but, you know, when a guy misses like five or six of them, and then he makes one and, and he, you know, he's kissing up the guy, <laughs> bumping his chest, whatever. And I'm like, dude, man, how you get off doing this? Right, <laughs> Let me ask you this. Some of the players of today, can you see some of the players today that remind you of some of the guys back in the day, dead or alive? Like some yeah. of the guys, like a Kevin Durant, do he remind yeah. you of an Iceman? Yeah, or, or Kevin, like Kevin Durant mm-hmm. would be a perfect example of, uh, you know, how Gervin used to do it. And uh, and then, you know, there was there was some big guys who could shoot from from outside, ABA guys and NBA guys. Stu Johnson was one of the guys that uh, come to mind. Obviously, little Louis Dampier, man, made more three-pointers than anybody or whatever back back in the day. But Ice was special in the fact that we were teammates. You know, my second year and his first year, you know, that was a special year and special memories because, you know, when I see him now, I say, come here, rookie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he was my rookie. Right. And yeah. he, said, he, said, he said, you know, Doc, you know how he talks. You know, Doc, you know, it's. Once your rookie, once I was your rookie, and I'm always gonna be your rookie. <laughs> I, that's how. That's the rule. That's the I rule. I feel like it's only fitting that two of the most iconic, coolest dudes in the history of the game that one schooled the other, and one was yeah. a rookie in the vet. So I mean, that that's only right. Yeah. yeah. We had, we had, yeah. we had OG, uh, Big Gervon, Big Ice, and he said that you was the first person to bust his ass. And we asked him that question. He said you you <laughs> served him up. Do you even remember that? Yeah. That was practice, man. He tried to go home. <laughs> and I said, well, you can't leave, man. We, we got to go in the gym. We still got work to do. And because he came like mid-season mm-hmm. uh, yeah. after we replaced Charlie Scott on our team. Came like mid-season. He was trying to go home. I said, no, let's go to the gym. You know, so <laughs> I wasn't holding back. I wanted to really see what he had right. and, what and, he had. and what he had. And, and then, you know, I used to go in and, and do this little move and, uh, you know, I'd always keep focus on that little square above the uh, rim. And, you know, he started coming in. And I was like, what you looking at, man? And he said, I'm looking at the big square, the big, the big white square right. on, yeah. the, on the on the backboard. Right. And he's yeah. placing the ball at different spots on that big white square. Yeah. So I was like, man, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you know, I was just looking at it. that little square somewhere in that little square, left side, close to the little square. So and so, but your ball's gonna your ball's gonna go in because we we you know, we like to shoot bank shots. Yeah, Ice Ice told us, uh, you know, Ice is known for doing the mm-hmm. finger roll, and he told us where he got the finger roll from was yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, he just got a different version of it from farther out and using yeah. the the big square, 
and, and we and we've had that conversation, <laughs> man. And I and I'm like, I right, so I ain't messing with that big square. I'm stick with I'm gonna stick with my stuff. <laughs> you gotta stick with what bought me that. Yeah, how was that for you to see him? You know, take what you was doing and then evolve it to you know what it became and how it became yeah. this legendary move. That and you know, like he said, he would just he started playing with it, flicking it up there where the big guys just yeah. floating over their finger. How was it for you to just see him take it to another level like that? The the good news about it was. You know, he did it with a certain modesty. <laughs> right. And uh, it was like, you know, I just wasn't talking a whole lot of trash. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. He, he just let his game do the talking. That was, my, that was my style. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's funny because when they used to come in, San Antonio used to come in and play Philly or whatever, you know, we tried to put Maurice Cheeks on him. And, he, and he'd be like, I'm just, when I come in there, I have my can of Raid and I'm just going to spray it on Cheeks because, you know, <laughs> Once I get the ball over my head, I'm good. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm handling the ball, she could cause problems for him, yeah, you know, because yeah, he's so good, you know, so good defensively. Yeah. So, we, you know, we used to go out to dinner all the time and, and, and we'd, we'd talk shop. You uh, you dunked on a lot of people, and it's a lot of, of your dunks are still getting showed to this day. Mm-hmm. What's one of the ones that's, like, your all-time favorite? Like, mm-hmm. what's, what's Dr. J all-time favorite dunk on? That you'd have had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I've spoken to this a, a few times. Uh, Elvin Hayes in Washington, mm-hmm. Capital Center. Mm-hmm. You know, we we had we had a rivalry with them. It was like it was like a turnpike rivalry yeah. with Philly right and, and DC. And uh, you know, we used to go by bus to the games. So, you know, bus ride up, bus ride down, whatever, you know, you're uncomfortable, you kind of you know, tired, frustrated, or whatever. You want to take it out on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to the joint, and, you know, this was in Lando. And uh, I think either Bobby Dandridge or whoever the other guy was, uh, was guarding me, and I got around him. And I'm going in the lane, and that damn West Uncell was back there mm-hmm. <laughs> helping at Elvin. And I knew Uncell would hurt you. Strong, yeah. He would hurt you and and not even blink. Yeah. And, then, and then he would take the courage from the other players on your team because they wouldn't even come out and come to your rescue. <laughs> Probably mm-hmm. might not even come out and pick you up thinking That's that they're going right to get, get hit by him too. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the only guy that Wilt was scared of in the league, you know. Uh, yeah. And I always heard that before I got over to the So league. wait, the Wilt was scared yeah. of him? So, West, so I'm thinking about, I, I turn this corner and I'm thinking about because I see Wes out the corner of my eye. He's not even jumping. He's like just, you know, posting up over there. So, I, you know, I jumped away from him. And who did I meet in midair? Elvin Hayes. Elvin Hayes. I met him. And Elvin used to always block shots like this. <laughs> two hands. He wouldn't, he wouldn't block with left hand or right, left hand or right hand. He'd block with two hands. And you can't block those shots yeah, with two funny. hands with somebody who could palm the ball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can wave it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you in the middle. <laughs> yeah. in the middle, and then kaboom. <laughs> so so we're up in the air, we chest to chest, and I'm moving the ball around. He's still up there with the two hands, and I'm gliding through the air. He's being forced back. And, you know, I, I mean, I dumped the ball really, really hard, hard enough to, like, suck the air out the building, mm. whatever. So this was maybe, like, in... 88, 89, 
Yeah. And because uh, they, they went to title back to back, you know, uh, for two years with Seattle. Uh, Elvin wouldn't, wouldn't speak to me. <laughs> wouldn't speak to you? He wouldn't speak to me, man. So, so now we go to Cleveland and they celebrating the uh, 50th anniversary of the NBA. I remember this. Yeah. And we both, you know, made the team. And we had dinner with Will Chamberlain and Willis Reed. And that was the first time he spoke to me since that dunk shot, you know? Whoa. And then he stopped speaking again. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's not like we talked all the time anyway, but he stopped speaking again. And I, I knew he was still kind of bothered by it. because I wasn't talking about it. So I, mean, we, I, I wanted to get the freedom to talk about it. Because somebody yeah. said, what was the, you know, the best one? That was the yeah. best one. And, and, uh, the best one. and then in 2019, he called me up. Said, I ain't mad at you no more, man. And I really want you to do, I really want you to do my radio show. Because <laughs> he had a radio show in Houston and whatever. I did the show, man. We got on there, we laughed, and you know, we just remember because we both old, you know, we old farts already about yeah. 2019, all these years <laughs> later. And uh and and we're cool. I think we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was that for you to be recognized as the 50th greatest players? Like to be a yeah. part of that historic group and yeah. to see your peers and see some of the guys that that watched you to yeah. get yeah. put on that list too. Yeah. Like that's the greats of the greats. I remember, yeah, I remember jackets the y'all had. Yeah. Them jackets yeah. y'all yeah. had was so dope. I right, was like, what right, are the right, jackets? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a there's a picture of that group and in the center of the picture there's Pete Maravich and I'm right next to Pete Maravich mm. and lots of times I've looked at that picture of me and Pete and I've looked at us as the game changers you know just just from the generation before to to what was happening during the eras in, in which we played or whatever because you know and it, you know, I mean, Earl Monroe did all kind of stuff on the ground, right. but he really didn't do nothing that Pete Maravich didn't do. Because <laughs> right. yeah. Pete Maravich on the ground and me in the air or whatever, you know, changed basketball. And, and uh, you know, there's no going back after it gets changed. You know, the set shot's gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. they shoot no one-hand yeah. set shot, but they ain't yeah. shooting no two-hand set shots. And, no. uh, you know, just a, a lot of the stuff, the outlet passes and, you know, they had names for certain things that you did on a basketball court. When you were learning how to play basketball, you need to make a two-hand chest pass, you know, you did, uh, you know, the whole behind-the-back thing, and that was just a showboating <laughs> or whatever, the baseball, baseball pass. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just uh, uh, things that don't don't exist today. When you go CYO, you go recreation leagues, and so on and so forth. They got a whole different language that they're speaking yeah, and 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 it's reflected in the game mm -hmm. and the kids. You know the way that yeah. they play, man. They get they get down, they get down differently, and that's that's the evolution of the sport. Straight up, nicknames, nicknames like Doctor J is one of the all time great nicknames yeah. you can have. Like, yeah. and you had Doctor J before you even touched the NBA court. <laughs> yeah, for people to call you Doctor. <laughs> like Dr. J, how, how how was that making you feel when yeah. like the world knew you as Dr. J? So back in uh, I guess high school, maybe last year, middle school, high school, I had a buddy who I just called a professor, <laughs> and he called me the doctor. <laughs> we just wanted we just wanted to have professional sounding nicknames, 
and he's still the professor and I'm still the doctor. That's, that's <laughs> and and uh, for people to recognize the nickname, for it to be used in endorsements and, you know, for it to be regarded as something special that's generational. So if you, if you can have, you know, an 80 year old say, Oh, I know who Dr. J is, yeah. you know, that's Julia serving or a 10 year old, yes. you know, in the same building say, Oh, I know who Dr. J is. That's Julius Irving or whatever. You know, that's, that's special. That's multi-generational. Yes, and that doesn't is. happen. That doesn't happen to everyone. So uh, I think there's a lot of responsibility that goes with it, you know, because if you're a factor in somebody else's life, hopefully you can live up to that. And not that you yeah. wake up every morning saying, well, I'm going to live up to other people's expectations, expectations. or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to live up to my own expectations. And if it jives with other people's expectations, then that's good. That's a double win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was it for you when you first started playing basketball, young dot? Like, when did you pick up the game and what made you start playing ball? I was a Salvation Army kid. So I grew up in Hempstead, Long Island, and I, I did K through eight in Hempstead, Long Island. I did nine through 12 in Roosevelt, Long Island. And, you know, Roosevelt's known, it's a small community in Long Island. It's where Eddie Murphy comes from, and Howard Stern, Chuck D. You know, a, a, Shout out Chuck D. Chuck D is a ball, yeah, is a real ball who, fanatic. People, a lot of go. people don't know that. There he knows a lot of stuff. There you go. And he, he's always posting it, too. Yeah. You know, so, so that was my 9 to 12 uh, experience. But during the K through 8, you know, when I started playing basketball, you know, we had our school team, which is Prospect Elementary, and then we had the Salvation Army team. Right. And the Salvation Army team was so desirable for me because we traveled. Mm. So we would leave Nassau County and go to Suffolk County, and we would leave Nassau County, go to Queens, leave Nassau County, we go to uh, Manhattan, we go to Brooklyn, we go to Bronx. Uh, you know, we'd be in and out of Harlem. Our coach used to take us to Madison Square Garden to see the, the Knicks and all the double headers they used to have. So, you know, we get excited about seeing the pros come in and playing the double headers in the garden, the old garden, mm-hmm. you know, and they had obstructed view seats. Right. Where you had to uh-huh. look around a pole to see the game, <laughs> man. It was. Uh-huh. <laughs> If you got one of those seats behind the pole, you were screwed. If the guy next to you wouldn't let you lean over into his seat and, and watch the game, you know, so you you miss half the game with that obstructive seat. So for me, uh, you know, I got hooked on it. I, um, I I played all the sports, but basketball was always my favorite. And then actually, I had an accident in football where I, you know, uh, tore the uh, ligaments in my knee in my right knee and it put me on the sideline for a long time and I was really really fortunate to come back from that so I kind of you know learned how to come back from stuff and not not let it not let Linger. it make me quit you know yeah. get me down and you know in sports you're always going to have that yeah. you're always going to have something that you're going to have to come back from so having that experience so early in life I think helped me a lot later in life uh, with all, all the things that were thrown at me so for you, when you grew up, like, who was the guy you tried to pad your game after or you looked up to or you, you was like, man, I want to, you know, we all had whoever we looked up to. Who was that for, for Dr. J? Who did you look up to? Yeah, he, he recently has passed. And uh, 
and I've done a couple of shows, this Sunny Hill show uh, Sunday, and I've done a couple of shows to uh, talk about him, did the LA Times, uh, did ESPN, but it was Elgin Bell. It was Elgin Bell. Yeah. First, first and foremost, you know, but one of my coaches said, man, you, you play a little like, like Connie Hawkins. I had never heard of Connie Hawkins, right. but I had seen Elgin yeah. Bell and then I eventually heard of Connie Hawkins and I was like, man, that's yeah. a great compliment. Right. They tell you, you play your game to <laughs> remind them of Connie Hawkins. So I know it got to be six, eight, but Elgin Bell, man, Elgin, Elgin was so far ahead of his time. Uh, he could play in today's game and, he was averaging 30 as it was right there. Right. You know, what's that number going to look like? 40, right. 45? They say he was playing with the Lakers on the weekend because yeah. he was in the Army. Yeah, if you just turn him turn him loose. And he is a special story. And I know it's going to be told more and more now that, now that he's passed. And uh, and Sonny was telling me that it, he has a book that's uh, coming out because he was very reluctant to write a book because he was so sensitive to people's feelings and whatever. Just a just yeah. a lot of stuff that uh, that were representative of who Elgin Baylor was, but the first time I saw him on TV, I, mean, I was that kid. Got my ball, <laughs> went down to the park, said, "Hey man, watch this!" Right. Tell him, "My boy, watch this. Come on the right side, pick up the dribble before you get in the lane, and step across the lane and go to the other side and just put it up." You know. Uh, with the same hand, without the other hand touching the ball, that was Elgin Baylor, man. That was Elgin Baylor, and they, and they were wow. My friends were like, "Wow, man!" I was like, "Yeah, man." I just saw this, this dude do this, and I saw him come down on the break, crisscross, go to pass, take a shot, whatever. I mean, you know, it's, it was just he was doing stuff that was different than what the other guys were yeah. doing, and all of those guys, Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West. They would all say the same thing. They would look at Elgin just like, you know, he was a gift from God. Right. Yeah, the Elgin, Elgin actually, he drafted both of us. We, you know, we right, were yes. uh, with the Clippers. Yep. When he drafted us to the Clippers, man. And I mean, like, you know, yep. definitely send condolences and prayers to his wife and family, man, because they were always, he and his wife were always extremely, extremely always. nice to us and always outgoing, willing to help if they could and just, Whenever yeah. you saw him, you know, obviously they were at every single game sitting together. And, you know, we would always see him after the game. They always had kind words and offering the help yep. in any type of way. So And humble. Extremely, and humble, extremely, right? humble extremely, is fine, man. extremely yeah. humble. Yeah. 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 And he, you know, he had reason to be tripping if he was going to trip. Yep. <laughs> yes, he did. Because yeah. he, he scored 81 points yeah. in the game, man. You know, yeah. a, 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 a yeah. 71, I think, I can call me at 80. Yeah. He had 70, and he averaged 38 one year. And, I mean, you know, it's just, just stuff that is kind of lost in basketball history because, you know, they, you know, I think the league makes an effort to promote the game from 90 on. Mm -hmm. yeah. And all the other stuff yeah. is real old yeah. school. But there's some good yeah. stuff in that old school, oh, yeah. man. It's some great yeah, stuff some in there. Good old stuff. stuff some that great people stuff. Learn and the from. origins of them moves. Yeah. All the origins of the moves that y'all used to do and everything. <laughs> them still are the moves that's yeah. getting done today. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. today. Yeah. Tell me this. When you were coming out, what what made you choose you man? Yeah. Yeah. So come from Long Island, right? And uh I took like two visits. 
out of state towards the west. So I went out to Iowa State. You know, I didn't like cornfields and all that <laughs> right. stuff. Out there, man, I was just like, <laughs> I, I lost out there at 17 years old. I went to uh, Buffalo, New York. So I didn't really care for that. And I had a, a, a budding relationship with uh, St. John's and their coach, Lou Conaseca. Mm-hmm. So he really wanted me to come to St. John's. And my high school coach played at BU. My high school coach was Ray Wilson. He played at BU with Jack Lehman, who coached UMass. And I took two visits to UMass. I had a bunch of times going over to St. John's. And at the end of the day, I was going to go to one place or the other. You know, uh, I had ruled out one school down south because of, uh, you know, all the stuff that my cousins were experiencing. And my mother was one of 14 kids. So the whole south thing and, and the schools down south weren't going to be a fit for me. Um, you know, as it turned out, it came down to St. John's and UMass and the relationship between my uh, high school coach and the coach there carried over to me is somebody who, you know, would look out for me. And if things didn't work out in basketball, I still had, you know, the academic desire and, and I had a guy who would be in my corner. Right. You know, not that Lou Conaseca wouldn't be, but I think if I stayed home, if I stayed in, in New York and went to school in Queens, hmm. I would be a commuter. A lot of stuff to get and into. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't gonna be it wasn't gonna be like the real college experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and UMass had a sprawling campus and some, you know, it was a great institution. And they had a program that was that was on the rise. You know, we, we had an undefeated freshman team. We posted eighteen and six my sophomore year, and then we twenty three and two my my junior year. But you that was that was my last year there. But you averaged twenty six and twenty. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the and individual 20, side of it. Twenty six <laughs> points and twenty boards. Like what? <laughs> like what? Hey, hey man, it would have been nice if they ran some plays for me. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey! Wait, tell hey, me this uh, though. What was it like playing in college when they the NCAA was prohibiting dunks? Then how was that? You know what? You just dropping it in there. That's what. That's what makes those numbers crazy. You know, really that that makes them resonate because there was no dunking. You know, because a lot of people say, "Well, you know, you got a whole lot of dunks." Yeah. They, they think I got thirty thousand points on dunks. <laughs> I had like 30-some thousand points in my pro career, and they wasn't all dunk shots. Hey, let them know, Doc. You was a certified well, bucket out here. It wasn't, every, it wasn't just dunk. Well, I put some people buckets. to sleep, but we I was getting buckets. We were getting buckets, man. It took about the dunk. Hey, come on. You know, the dunk was the highlight. That was the icing on the cake. Yeah, that was just for your posters. Like, let me put you on this poster real quick, you know. <laughs> Say cheese. <laughs> You making my ego come out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an iconic photo of you. Uh I don't think this Rucker, I think this is another uh park. And it's an iconic photo of you and I always love this photo because it shows you you have the fro on and you have the Teen League shirt. But I love this photo so much to see the crowd in the background. You can see the train track. You can see the the crowd in the mm-hmm. at the uh, apartment building. Everybody mm-hmm. looking out the window, yeah. and just the energy of the crowd. Uh, you remember this photo? Remember the story? Like, just tell us about like the crowds, like the ruckers and all that stuff. Because you were playing in front of big crowds before you even got to <laughs> the big leagues, and yeah. like you know. Well, you know the 
Rucker League. That was a Rucker League photo when they're sitting on the buildings and yeah. uh-huh. praying over on the side. And that's that's uh, 155th and 8th Avenue in New York, so right in the heart of Harlem. And I, I never played in Rucker Park till after my junior year in college. Mm. Uh-huh. So I always played in a lot of other playgrounds. I played in playgrounds in D.C. When we traveled down to South Carolina to visit my family, you know, play. You know, just play on hoops that was just put up on a pole. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. The Rucker Park experience started for me at age 21, and I played five years. So I played from age 21 to age 26 in the off seasons. Uh-huh. You know, I was there like clockwork. Yeah. And I think that kind of uh, helped my playground Bro. creds right, right. <laughs> go, to, uh-huh. go to another level and also – the playground game being brought into the traditional game, you know, yeah. the pro game. And yeah. of those five years were the five years I played in the ABA. So yeah. the ABA and the Rucker League, I think, once again, game changers in terms of how people would see basketball, how they would view basketball. They look for a little bit more spice on it. They look for the show. And, yeah. you know, obviously the above, above the rim stuff and kids – trying to develop their games in that way where, you know, they can go above the rim and, and they've gone far past, you know, what I was, what, what I was able to do. Those guys going around their neck, <laughs> around their back, between the legs and then well, still dunking the ball. I'm like, how did they stay up that long? Yeah. You know, I can't. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a lot of them doing it too. Never occurred to me <laughs> that you could do all that. <laughs> in the game. But uh, the NBA's acceptance of it, Culminated in the, after the 75-76 season. So my team with the Nets, we won the ABA championship. Boston Celtics won the NBA championship. And then that offseason, that was the offseason of offseasons. That was just like the AL and the NL getting together and creating the NFL. Both leagues coming together and get, being under one umbrella. So the ABA and the NBA coming together in that summer you know, the NBA wanted some of what the ABA had. Right. No question about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had Iceman, David Thompson, George McGinnis, Artis Gilmore, Dan Issel, you know, and a whole bunch of guys who, who could really play, who hopefully would get their chance to be nominated and accepted in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, you know, that would be cool. That would be, uh, that would be a big one for me to see that happen. Because, you know, they made the leagues want to – be under one roof. Mm-hmm. And then once it got under one roof, I think the ABA players have, and the ABA franchises have represented themselves very well. Yeah. How was that transition for you going from the ABA where you, you know, you win championships and being a big star and then coming to the NBA? How, how, yeah. how did that go down for you? So, so for me, you know, the money got in the way. So my agent and, uh, you know, me, he, I mean, I obviously agreed to it, but it made a deal for me not only to go from league to league, but then I went from the team that I was with to another team. Hmm. So now I'm going to a team and I'm the outsider, you know, coming in, uh, leaving the Nets and then going to Philly. Right. Whereas with the Nets, you know, I was a three-time scoring champ, MVP in the playoffs. And MVP in the league, right, you know, right. uh, two times in a co-MVP once or whatever. So so my status and scoring and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, was way ahead of Iceman and, and uh, David Thompson, two guys who were competing for the title the next year. 
you know. Yeah. Uh, but once I went to Philly, different coach, Gene Shu, teammates. You know, I got Big George McGinnis, got Doug Collins, you know, both uh, great players. Got World Be Free, player destined to, you know, to be good, be great. Mm-hmm. Daryl Dawkins, Marwell <laughs> Jones, Harvey Ketchings. I, mean, I got guys who I got to learn and who got to learn me. And yeah. they weren't just all that open-armed and willing to let it happen. Right. You know, you guys yeah. know when you get you get traded somewhere, it ain't like it's open-armed. It's more like you ain't getting my spot. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I knew I was going to get somebody's spot, and that would happen to be Jelly Bean Bryant, mm. you know, and Jelly Steve Bean Mix. Bryant. Both those guys, yeah. Yeah, Kobe's dad and, and Steve Mix, you know, they were the guys eyeing the spot to be the small forward. And because uh, George had the other spot locked up, so had to get through that and get a good relationship with them. Steve is one of my best friends now, and Joe's yeah. cool. But then Steve coaches with me in the big three. Yeah, yeah. So, so all that in the beginning had come, to, you know, has come to pass well, and sir. turned out turned out good. My whole role changed, you know, because I mean, I, when I was with the Nets, you know, I was league leading scorer uh, three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Gervin and David Thompson, you know, they was it was after me. Right, right. But when yeah. I went to Philly and I went there, they had George McGinnis and World Be Free and Doug Collins. And that World general manager said, We don't need nobody who's gonna score third. Right. So I had to really adjust my game. And and those guys know it. They they knew, you know, what my game could have been offensively if on the right team. Uh-huh. But on that team. They said, this is the way we're going to get to the championship. And then the next six years, I mean, we got there three times. Yeah. We got to the finals they three right. times. And then we got Big Mo, you know, and then it was, you know, it was it was a wrap after that, <laughs> that next year. Well, it worked. I mean, we were 12-1 yeah. in the playoffs. So that, yeah. that little seven-year period, going to finals four times in seven years, you know, that was, that was our era right there. And I wish yeah. we had won a second time or a third time, but, you know, one it was one and uh and it was a special one and you know it was one of the all-time great runs but i would say that my game changed i mean i was uh you know i was still like second team all pro whatever but i wasn't you know the, the play i was in the aba till my mvp year which was 1981 and i just you know decided all right i need to score more points i need to do more things mm-hmm. and you know, reflect my my abilities on the basketball court and impose my will on the other players around the league. And I was able yeah. uh, to do that. And it was a great deal of satisfaction in that year to do that because I knew that I hadn't lost it, that it had just been adjusted by design. Uh, my teammates and the coaches designed for us to, you know, whatever's going to get us to the championship. I know you're a dunker, you had Chocolate Thunder on your team. How hard did Chocolate Thunder used to dunk the ball? Hey, man, it, it, you know what? I mean, it's, it's Shaq. It's Shaq before Shaq. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I mean, Shaq, Shaq was uh, the way he dunked the ball and, you know, brought his legs up and, and yeah. you know, wanted to tear down backboards. He, he, I think he had Chocolate Thunder in mind sometimes. When he would mm-hmm. go down low on guys. <laughs> oh yeah, I got I got this little guy on me yeah. right now. I gotta I'm do, do what my man Daryl Dawkins would do. And yeah. Daryl, the difference between Shaq and Daryl is Shaq would dunk on you, and then he still go get 
like 30 or 40. Daryl would dunk on you. And Daryl was so happy. He'd be like, I'm done. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm like Daryl, you got to keep playing, man. It's a 48-minute game. <laughs> no, I did already. Yeah, yeah he, he's like, I got it in, man. I, I dunked on this guy, now, you know, whatever. So, yeah. It was one more team I wanted to ask you about, and uh, World Be Free. Yeah, yeah. I used yeah. to love World Be Free. I thought he was nice. Yeah. How was he World was, Be Free? He was a free spirit. You know, he he's one of the nicest guys right now because yeah. we have a Philadelphia alumni, and, you know, and he he's yeah. a community, community ambassador uh, for the Sixers. You know, we were both, the first year, we were both commuting out of our homes in New York mm. playing Philly. So I would uh, swing by and pick him up, and then he would drive down to Philly for us to go to practice. For the games and everything, because we were like holding See, on to New York. Y'all drive back and forth from New York? Yeah, oh. we were commuting from New York, man. Anytime we got uh. to go to New York, we were, we were, we were in New York. And it was kind of <laughs> crazy during that time. And he he has uh, he's told the stories, and he's put it on video. So that's something you guys ought to get a hold of uh, sometime. His, our rides our rides from New York to, uh, to Philly. Uh. And uh, he, um, you know, he was on a team where he and Daryl came in together and, and he was drafted in a team that was, that was loaded, that was stacked. And he wanted to find his, find his spot. So, you know, he came off the bench and he came off the bench with firepower because he was going to put it up, right. you know. And yeah, they, we're as a matter of fact, him, him, Steve Mix, Jelly Bean, Daryl, because Daryl came off the bench because Caldwell Jones was the starter. Mm-hmm. Daryl came off the bench. Harvey Catchings came off the bench. But that team that came, that second team, they called themselves the Bomb Squad. Man, I don't know if you oh, ever heard about the bombs, that. Bombs, but I like that. They <laughs> called themselves the Bomb Squad because they were coming in bombing. Like, <laughs> and, oh. and whoever, and Daryl said, whoever got it, shot it. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. Tell me about the first dunk contest back in back in the ABA in '76, oh, okay. and it was yeah. and that happens to be with you and Iceman. How was that for you guys? Like that was had you ever been in dunk contest or anything prior to that? Not at that level, but every every camp I ran, we would have dunk contests. Mm-hmm. I was with Converse and Spalding for those early years in the '70s. We would have dunk contests, and we would go. Uh, abroad, so we would go to China, we'd go to Europe, we'd go to South America, and you know, I always kind of ended my talks with the dunk from the foul line and doing something that nobody had seen anybody do. So I had honed that skill, and I knew the effect that it would have on people. So when we were in Denver last year, the ABA and the Denver Nuggets were playing against the All-Stars from around the league because there was only seven teams left, right? So we got a uh, – Denver hosted it, and they kept their team intact. And they had David Thompson and uh, Dan Essel mm-hmm. and uh, Marvin, Marvin Webster. Yeah, they had Marvin Webster. So they dispersed players from around the league and created an All-Star team, and we go to Denver. So Carl Shear, who's you know forward-thinking guy, he said, you know, halftime of this All-Star game, just spiced up, we ought to have a slam dunk contest. Hmm. So that was almost put together on the spot. 
You know, it wasn't like mm. a long, it wasn't like a year-long plan, and we knew that. Mm. So it wasn't really a whole lot of time for players to prepare. And he said, well, this is going to be the rules. We're going to have uh, one from the left, one from the right, one from <laughs> from uh, underneath the basket. Yeah. And that's why it was so stagnant. You know, uh, yeah. So guys just stood under the basket and dunked two balls. Right. Either dunked two balls or just did a two-handed twisting dunk or whatever, a stationary dunk. You had left and right, then you could run in from uh, from one of, one of the sides, and then they had they had a line, they had a piece of tape there inside the foul line, and they said, "Well, you got you got to dunk from outside of this tape." And it wasn't it wasn't fifteen feet, you know, it was probably like a ten feet. So everybody could do that. Everybody could do that dunk. But when fifteen feet under the foul line is, everybody couldn't do right, that. Right. Uh-huh. And that was and that was one of the difference makers in that in that dunk contest because I could do that. And, you know, I was kind of like neck and neck with uh, David Thompson. And he came out of the corner. He did like a 360. Boom. And he went off the back of the rim. And he missed. Like I did with Larry, Larry Nance the next year. Yeah. <laughs> and I missed. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And, and when you missed back in the day, it was a penalty. It was like, you're done. Mm-hmm. You're done. Yeah. So when he missed, because he probably was, you know, as good or maybe even a better dunker than me. Really doesn't get enough credit today. Skywalker was awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. But it was fun. It's fun to have a memory. It's fun to be the, you know, the winner of the inaugural uh, slam dunk contest. Nobody could take that away from you. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. guess it was meant to be. Just to see where it's at now. Like, this is this is almost 40 years later. Like, <laughs> like yeah. to see that the game is still doing that all for y'all doing the dunk contest and seeing kids and how the dunks have evolved now. Now we seeing these kids throwing it between their legs, jumping over people. Jumping over cars. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so to see how it evolved, like, uh, how is that? To see from, you seen it from the start and you've just yeah. seen all these all-star games and yeah. you've seen people bring something new yeah. to the table. Yeah, I, I always try to think of what happened before me. And, uh, you know, Wilt was a, a dunker. Uh, Elgin Baylor was a dunker. Connie Hawkins was a dunker. There was a guy who played for the Knicks. And I used to have to walk past his house to go to school every day. Johnny Green, man. Jumping Johnny, Johnny Green, Green, they called him. And he'd get those tips around mm-hmm. the basket. And he, and he could dunk the ball. So Gus Johnson, Honeycomb Johnson, played with Baltimore in Urban Road down there. He was tearing down backboards, man. Hmm. Honeycomb was tearing down backboards and and just grabbed the rim like Daryl and Shaq. Mm -hmm. And he's a forward. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you know what? You know nobody was messing with him. So so those things that I that I saw, as well as the finesse and the uh, the power or whatever, those were things that were influencers uh, on my game. And then when I played and got satisfaction, when you get satisfaction, I mean, it just builds your confidence. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I thought that there were years in which I felt it was the best player in the world. And there were years in which I felt, can't nobody touch this? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. not, not to shout it out, bang the chest or talk trash, but I knew it. Mm-hmm. I knew it. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the rivalry early in the early eighties with the Lakers. Like, that, like to me, cause you know, these days we hear different things and they say, Oh, it's a rivalry. It's, it's like 
I don't think this is a rivalry like they used to have back in the day. Like y'all dudes was out there really throwing punches, coming to blows and doing all those like this. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was real competition and also real venom yeah. out there from the physicality of everything. Just can you yeah. talk about that rivalry with them guys and then you guys finally breaking yeah. through and beating them in the championship? Yeah. So the rivalry was really Philly Boston and LA Boston. Everybody hated Boston. Right. <laughs> I can remember you dudes coming to blows with Bird do. and Miguel too. <laughs> hey man, we still do. Everybody, everybody hates Boston. <laughs> and, and it's so funny. I used to go there and way up in the bleachers, way up in the, in the stands. You know, there's somebody would have like a red number six up there because <laughs> I went to UMass, right? right? Okay. So, so, so they did have a little red six. So I was like, one person in this whole building <laughs> <laughs> loves me. I wonder if that's a family member or something. Right. <laughs> but I would see it. So Boston was the rivalry. And when we got by Boston, we got by Boston my first year in Philly. And they were defending champs. And it was a seven-game series. And at the end of the game, you know, World Be Free was dribbling out the clock on one knee over there at half court. And and so that was like, uh, we got we got Boston in a very interesting place, you know. They're beatable, right? You know, <laughs> so uh, and we had our ups and downs with them uh, the next eight ten years or whatever. But that was that was the the rivalry, and if we felt we bought, felt if we beat Boston, it was almost like winning the championship, right? Yeah. And the two times when we uh, played LA before the third time, so in 80 and in 82, we had to get past uh, Boston. We got past Boston and then ran into L.A. And L.A., I mean, L.A. was you know, a professional organization, man. You know, they, they'd do whatever they had to do to go and get the best players and, mm-hmm. and then they'd add on. They always had great coaching, whatever. They always had confidence and they had gotten so far past, you know, Boston whooping them up all those times because during, <laughs> during the Russell years, you know, Bill Russell, and I, when I talked to him, he's such a, such, he's such a funny guy. He said, he says, yeah, they, they had a whole lot of balloons up in the ceiling playing that home game. And when the game was over, those balloons were still up in the ceiling. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> get to let them down. They had no reason to let them down. <laughs> they weren't going to let them down for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh but yeah so so the two losses to la 80 82 you know 80 was magic's coming out party mm-hmm. and then 82 you know i mean when tony went down norm nixon went down you know you're talking about the contact right you know right. Oh, tony, man, it was tony it was it was, it was for real it was for real man guys was was hitting and not taking any names, and not taking any prisons, <laughs> uh, or whatever. So it was rough. And, and the year, you know, we so we get Moses in that off season, that summer, and we come back, and you know, we have the best record in the league, so we got home court advantage. You know, before the series started, they asked Moses, "What does it take to win the championship, big fella?" He said, "Fo, fo, fo." It's that po po po, and uh, you know our boys in Philly made that into a song, <laughs> or whatever, because uh. they call it four five four because we lost one game to Milwaukee right. at that time. 
No, okay. Twelve and one, and uh, and Moses, man, he just, you know, he got amped up when he played Kareem because he was like, I never want to lose this matchup. You know, he's a Kareem, great player, all-time leading scorer in history of the league, or whatever. He said, but I never want to lose this matchup, and I don't remember losing any matchups <laughs> with him. Yeah. So he just, uh, he just wore him down, man. He wore, wore the team down, and the rest of us, you know, we did. We did what we needed to do. You know, Tony was great. Cheeks was great. And uh, it was a fine moment. And it was a crowning moment just from a legacy standpoint. Because I think if, if I had not been able to win an NBA championship or whatever, I might be looked at a little differently, you know, and than, I, than I am looked at. And uh, so I was glad to get that out the way because you know we there's a whole list of guys who don't have no rings. Yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> and, they still talk about it to the day. They, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a it's not a kind conversation, right? Yeah, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, this is the era they so called say of the big three. Will Elgin and West wasn't a big three, or or was of Magic Magic Kareem and James Worthy? They was big threes, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So when I be I hearing would, this story, yeah. I hear today's talking about like man, big three or LeBron started the big three, and I'm like, man, I've, I've seen a history of big three where it's been three legendary players playing together, winning yeah. chips. It's just in those situations in the past, the owner, the president, the general manager is the one who put those players together, and mm-hmm. now the players put it together. You know, they have, they, they corner off their boys, you know, their summer vacation or what have you. And in, in those mm. cases that you mentioned, those were players' deals. And, and, and you look, I mean, you look at the Nets now with Kyrie and Harden and Durant or whatever. That, that, that probably was an organizational deal, you know, mm-hmm. like in the past. But mm-hmm. uh, in most of LeBron's situations when he went to, when he went to Miami, and uh, Bosch and, and uh, him and uh, yeah, and Dwayne, you know they they collaborated on it. It's like, hey man, this guy, I want to play with. We gonna we gonna be accountable if you bring us together. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, so that that's what made it a little difference. And then it, back to the internet thing, you know, the communication. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's out there. It's public. You know, the, the salaries are public now. Yeah. You know, before the salaries weren't even public. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah. so it's changed. Changed. You spoke on the playground guys at the ruck and everything. Who who in the league right now? What players you think fit that bill that could could have played on the playground or could play on the playground? Well, Kyrie is a good mention. Harden, you know, the Nets team. Curry can play out there. Uh, you know, and and the guys like uh MJ and and Durant, and they were all gone to the ruck just to have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they've gone. And I and I, I didn't even know till <laughs> after I had played there that the guy would just hold the clock. So when you get 40, 50, 60 or whatever, it ain't like a 48-minute game. It's yeah. like a 72-minute game. <laughs> they like, he cooking. <laughs> yeah. He cooking. He's, he's <laughs> got the pipes. Everybody, hey, it's Sunday. Everybody having a good time. Everybody's safe. The guys are playing. These players ain't getting tired. They ain't watching the clock. <laughs> right up. The guy who was watching the clock, man, he was really controlling everything. <laughs> uh, if you could pick four other guys from the Rucker to play with, 
that you seen when you came up them five years playing in the Rucker. Who is them four other guys? Some we know, some we don't know. Yeah. So Tiny Archibald, you know, Tiny. he'd be he'd be he'd be captain of the ship. Tiny. Uh, you know, he led the league in scoring and assists. Yeah. Right. There's a guy named Ollie Taylor. Ollie and Taylor. He played with me in the Rucker League. And he he went to the University of Houston. And he was like six four, but he could jump out the gym. And is strong and had a good shot. And is an exciting player to watch. He actually played in the ABA, he played, played with the Nets. Um, so, you know, he's a guy uh, who I would look at. Joe Hammond. Joe Hammond is the uh, playground legend at the Rucker League. And he just came and played when he, when he felt like showing up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, could, they couldn't keep track of Joe. But he could come out there and he's, you know, almost any night he, he dropped 30. And uh, the last guy, you know, I mean, it, it, probably just as a playground guy, Fly Williams, you know, comes to mind. Fly. Uh, yeah, Fly, Fly was Fly. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 he, and he can get it done. Yeah, but the, the, I mean, the list goes on. The guards, there were so many guards, shake and bake, you know, just guys who, in today's game, people want to see a show. That yeah. was a place where you can get a show. Yeah, if guys could dribble like Kyrie dribbled the ball, so it'll be on, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's got some handles, man. Yeah, he might be a distant relative. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking on, you know, those nicknames and the fly nicknames, it always take me back to you being, you know, one of the coolest dudes ever in the league. Like, how was with your mindset and in your demeanor, did you were you aware that you were like this icon of coolness, or you was just doing you, and it just so happened that everybody dug it? For me, I didn't. I didn't want to be Dr. J off the court. Mm. Uh. You know, it was like an alter ego thing. I never introduced myself as Dr. J. Mm -hmm. Introduced myself as Julius. Julius Irving. You know, name my mother, father gave me. And and when I got on the court, that was like putting on a Superman suit. Right, right, right. Putting <laughs> on the cape. Putting on you the know, cape. Becoming Batman, Superman, whatever. You know, I was like, when I stepped within those lines, you're looking at a different guy. Hmm. And yeah. if I was going to lunch or dinner or a meeting or even a speech or whatever, I want to go as Julius Irving. And, yeah. and I wanted to be... I wanted to be respected as that individual, you know, who was a, who was an American citizen, black American, who uh, college educated, you know, who was bringing something else to the table other than what I could bring athletically. Right. So I wanted to park the athletic piece at that door to the arena, and and um, you know, or, or to something outside of the arena. Mm -hmm. And so on the court was different. On the court was Dr. J. Off the court, it was Julius. For me, this is like one of many, but like one of the pinch yourself moments. Like, you know what I'm saying? When I told yeah. my pops, like, yo, we, we going to have Dr. J. He said, Dr. Really? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, my pops old school, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he when, when I could get him excited and stuff like that, like, that's that's, that's nice. crazy, like, cause I like literally I grew up watching ball with my mom. My mom was a was an athlete. She hooped, you know what I'm saying? She yeah. the one who got me watching Georgetown, DePaul, because it was on WGN, you know what I'm saying? So she was the one yeah. and like some of my earliest memories is of 
watching you rock the cradle on on Michael Cooper. Wow. And like that's yeah. some of my earliest memories of basketball. Now we get to sit here yeah. and chop it up with you on our show. Like yeah. that's like crazy, <laughs> a big blessing yeah. and just out of here. So, you know, even though we in the middle, I just still gotta say appreciate it right <laughs> quick. You know what I'm saying? It's good and all the way around, man. And I admire the job that you guys did. I got a chance to watch you play and, you know, like have very strong feelings for you and your abilities, you know, game way you adjusted and adopted to the game and, you know, and did your thing, you know, whatever. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm a basketball fan too. And uh, when I see the transition from player to non-player and that yeah. you can still be productive, do something with your life, you know, that you like to do, whatever, that makes me happy. Yeah, you hear that, Pops? Dr. J, proud of us. Straight <laughs> up. <laughs> but I don't always get to talk about, I don't always talk about basketball every day or whatever, so it really is a, a tribute when you get the invitation from you guys and, you know, help you with your podcast and, you know, obviously help me keep my name alive and keep my rep intact and whatever, and, uh, you know, I, I just appreciate that, too. Oh, no, your name going to be live forever. I wanted to tell you this. Uh, I think I was like, I had to be like six or seven, and my mom went and bought me a basketball gold, and they were selling these basketball golds with, with your, they was the Dr. J gold, and they used to oh, have yeah. your face on the backboard and had <laughs> yeah, your like autograph yeah, on it. Yeah. Oh, I used to what love was that, that gold. It was, uh, little sport? Yeah, I had so one what, of them. What you, did you tear, how long did it take you to tear it up? <laughs> Uh, I, I, no, we bought about three of them, so I was turning, <laughs> I was turning them up. Oh, you put them in rotation, right. huh? Yeah, I was turning them up left and right. Yeah. But my mom used to always give them. I just used to remember just always just seeing your face on the backboard with your autograph on it, and we yeah. always used to play on it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was cool, man. The the whole you know that's a whole another question too about endorsements. Endorsements, yeah. So so in seventy seventy one, you know, I turned pro. And they were, Adidas was like the official shoe of the uh, league. Mm -hmm. And then the second year in the league, I actually got a deal with Converse. And Converse was the universal bestseller uh, during that time. They had the biggest market share. So signed with Converse, which was one of the first shoe endorsements, because my tennis comrades at that time were Jimmy Connors and uh, Chris Everett. And they got Converse endorsements. So we all had Converse endorsements around the same time and that was pretty special because before that you know certainly black athletes weren't getting those endorsements yeah. you know yeah, I, I, don't remember Jackie, I don't everybody. remember Jackie Robinson having any endorsements as, as great as he was and much of a game changer as he was and then after he passed you know they had him uh, doing some coffee shout out coffee Barry endorsement. Uh, there you go <laughs> Dr. Hey, J, Dr. J basketball can't see it. There there. It is. That's it right there. That's What's it right it called? there. Dr. J Basketball, Ohio Art. It's yeah. Lil Sport, though. Lil Sport. It's Lil Sport. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Learn to play like yeah. Dr. J. Straight up. Yeah. So we we had Lil Sport and we had uh, a Chapstick. Uh, we had Coca-Cola. Looking very. Uh, you know, it's, it's just like, yeah, the, the line, it just it just opened the door in the floodgate. Yeah. And, and so for me, I, I said, well, let me be very careful about what I elect to attach my name, face, and likeness to. So, you know, we, my agent and I, we talked about just get going for the cream of the crop. You can't just do yeah. everything. You can't be all things to all people mm -hmm. or whatever. So go, go for the cream of the crop. So that was the pattern. And we 
we did that right up into becoming Coca-Cola bottler with Bruce Llewellyn and Bill Cosby, you know, all the way uh, in, in, in the 80s, in 1985. Yeah. So that was, that was sort of like the crowning uh, relationship, the crowning endorsement. Yeah, I love that goal. That goal was my everything. You've been around since the, like, the climate change of, like, uh, racism, like uh, how the, the leagues now are really being in social justice, being helping out in issues that uh, a lot of the black athletes have and so forth. So you come from the 70s mm-hmm. all the way to now. So you just seen how these leagues wouldn't let black athletes do certain things or stay in certain hotels or mm-hmm. do certain things to now they're supporting not only the athletes, but they're doing it publicly on TV and showing the support. Like, uh, speak on that to see how to change, how this 40-year change yeah. then went from yeah. this to where we at now. And we still got a long way to go, but, yeah. you know, we we getting close. Well, well there's, there's no end to it. Right. There's no end yeah, exactly. to this particular cycle. What there is is uh, change and continuous change. So I predate the 70s and then the 60s in my teenage years. You know, this is when... Uh, John F. Kennedy got assassinated in 63 and then followed by uh, Reverend King getting assassinated in, in 1968 and 69, uh, another Kennedy assassination, Malcolm X assassination, whatever. So that was like the tone. You start, you start talking about an appreciation of life. You know, now life is very fickle, you know, because somebody can get a gun and get by security, which is supposed to be the best security in the right. country, and, yeah. and take somebody out or whatever. So now you got to park your ego at the door and you got to say, well, you know, all right, when I go out at night, am I ever going to come back home? Yeah. You know? So we were on watch during that time. And I think a lot of activity occurred, but there was no internet. Yeah. You know? So now, you know, you guys can say something on this podcast that gets picked up and the whole world can start talking about it. Right. Immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before it took time for, you know, the messages to go across the uh, and travel from one city to another, one country to another. You know, so the world moved a lot slower during that time. Guys who I went to high school with went to Vietnam. Right. So 67, 68, 69. So in three years, there were dozens who went and a lot less came back. So here we are now with the life or death issue or whatever. So what, what's important in this world? Is it is the preservation of your life or the preservation of your values or the preservation of your memory? You know, and I would think in preservation of life would be the first priority. <laughs> right. And then the values uh, would be next because now you're talking about how you make your kids feel, and how you, how they grow up, what, what they value in life, what they think is important in life, and not only your, your kids, but also now your friends and your circle because that's how you're going to be judged by the company that you keep. And then, you know, following that, you know, what's going to be your memory? What are people going to remember you for? You know, if you can do some things that make people uh, remember you, you know, that's great. That, that may not be for everyone, but, you know, for me, I mean, I, I think that's important. You know, that's why I have a documentary 
in my life. That's why I have an autobiography or whatever, so that, you know, when I'm gone, the message can still be shared in the inner circle first and then out of the inner circle after that. And plus, yeah. you know, coming on a, a podcast and talking to brothers like you guys, you know, this is a chance to say how it was and how it continues to be today like it was in terms of the things that are problematic. Yeah. But we're coming with better solutions. We're coming with more immediate solutions, more powerful solutions to the same problem, the same damn problem. You know, that, yeah. that we went through in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Y'all got the same damn problems. And now it's coming with better solutions, but there's no end to it. It's not like yeah. you're trying to get to an end result. You're trying yeah. to get to equality and you're trying to get to this no privilege uh, for some and not for others. And you're trying to get to a state where, you know, you're respected. So when someone disrespects you, there's a consequence. There's a consequence to them instead of it being inconsequential. Did that answer your question? Oh, yeah, that definitely did. Okay. Michael Jordan used to always say that you was his favorite player and you was the one he always looked to. When you used to see him play, did you see the similarities? And a palm and a ball or, you know what I'm saying, the dunk yeah. style and stuff like that. Did you see the similarities of seeing that he's watching you? Um, yeah. You know, and, and we played against each other. It was like three years where we overlapped. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that first year he was hurt. And then the second year, so 80, 84, yeah. 85 and 86. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that time when, when we overlapped. And it was funny because I remember he came down and he dunked on like a whole team. <laughs> And then I went down and dumped on his team. <laughs> Whatever. I was looking at him. He was looking at me. And, and he was like, I could do it again, you know. <laughs> I said, all right, well, I only get one shot at it. Uh, you know, I made it. So, <laughs> right. But it was fun. And, and, you know, we, those years when we overlapped, we kind of, I caught him before he really hit his stride. Yeah. In those first three years, you know, he was trying to fight. He was scoring a lot of points. But he was trying to find himself, find the right mix of teammates, Mm -hmm, whatever. There were a lot of things going on during that time with him. And and we, you know, we did some things in the offseason together. We played golf uh, in the offseason and just, you know, non-recreational type stuff. We had had some uh, endorsement opportunities. I think we were down in Atlanta. He was doing, it was was probably just a Coca-Cola. Uh, situation and before he had signed his deal with uh, Gatorade. And uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I always liked him and I always felt that he had a lot of respect. And he had a lot of admiration and, you know, he was going to carry the torch. Yeah. And uh, he, he certainly desired uh, to do it. Did a hell of a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did a hell of a job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I seen a quote. He said that when he was a young MJ, he said even even if he never won championships and stuff like that, he hoped that he just walked away from the game with the with the same amount of respect that you possess from everybody around you. How does that make you feel hearing a young MJ say that about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's getting creds, and it's important, you know, for for guys, you know, who compete in sports at the highest level to get creds. You know, you can't. You can't please everybody. Mm-hmm. 
everybody's not gonna like you. That's why, you know, shit, some people like apples, some people like oranges, some people like grapes, right. so on and so forth. You know, we're all fruit and and whether we represent the flavor or the taste of uh, somebody, you know, who's a fan or a follower or even a hater, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have their rights and they have their right of way. So, uh, so when an individual with blessed with great talent, you know, gives you recognition, you know, he's carrying on a torch because I, I like to give the recognition to Bill Russell, mm-hmm. Oscar Robertson, Elgin Baylor in particular, in a special way, Jerry West and those guys for the things that they did, and Will Chamberlain. And, you know, when I pick my all-time team, you know, we got thousands of players, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I made up my mind when I was like 15. So that was yeah. wrong. That was, you know, shoot, 55 years ago, yeah. 56 years ago. But I made my team, and it's still my team. Still your team to this day. Still my Straight team. Up. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Oh, you don't know it, man. Let's, I thought it was common knowledge. Let's hear it. That's <laughs> a everybody team should be this. <laughs> hey, man. Wilton Russell. Killers. Jerry West, Oscar Robinson, Elger Bell. That's my team. That's a five right there. That's my team right there. They don't even need a coach. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let me ask you this, with you speaking on the on the big will, because I feel like you're somebody who who played and you you got to see what he did growing up when you were coming up. For those who don't know, like, can you describe his dominance and how dominant he really was in the league and the things that he was doing, even though he didn't win, you know, the championships and all of that, but like just just describe how dominant he really was. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you're Goliath, right. as he was, you got a big target on your back. Everybody's trying to figure out what they need to do to stop you. So day in and day out, you're faced with that. Mm-hmm. And I think it 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 was reflected in his uh, there's something called an enigma, right? And he was an enigmatic person because he would let the thoughts of others influence his behavior. So somebody said once. Well, yeah, you score and you rebound, but you don't get no assists. <laughs> right. So what did he do the next year? He let the league get assists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So somebody told what he not going to do or can't do. It's not that you can't do it. I mean, you just, in order to win a championship, you don't have, it's not about being the best player. It's about being the best team. Right. You know, so it's it's a communal effort. It's bringing everybody together, getting them all on the same page, and then utilizing their talents to uh, to be the best. So when he won the championship with L.A., which was the second uh, championship, they had that. They started out the season 33-0. and 0. Right. Wow. <laughs> they had 33-game winning streak. <laughs> Whatever. So, and nobody liked to talk about that because it's like, Oh man, that's fantasy. Right. That's not fantasy. Yeah. That was real. They went out there, what, 33 games in a row. And, and uh, you know, his dominance. Okay, let me just talk about that a little hmm. bit. So I, I remember being in the playground and trying to uh, come from the corner and go across the lane and then roll the ball back. And, you know, they always called him the dipper. Right. Right? So it was like he just, he just had – they didn't call it – they didn't call it a finger roll. Right. They called yeah. it a dip, mm-hmm. dip shot. He, yeah. he had his little, had his dip shot 
And I mean, obviously when he got riled, you know, he would dunk it. <laughs> but he was letting he was letting guys off easy when he was doing the dip. Right. You know, so he played at Philly, the guy who announced his games announced my games too. So, you know, we talked a lot about Will because he loved he loved Will and uh and he loved me. And and he was a he was a he was a character, right? So Will, yeah, I think he loved basketball. I think he, um, I think he took a different route, you know, because uh, you know he went out to Kansas and played for a year, and then he ended up playing for the Globetrotters until his class graduated. So he had to wait until the class graduated before he could go into the NBA, because that was the rule at the time, right? Whatever. So he was already taking a, a whole different path to get to where he got to, and. You know, I mean, he he went through. He had a phenomenal career. Obviously, he had a season where he averaged fifty points a game. Who does that? <laughs> Whatever. He had a season That's where he crazy. averaged forty six point eight minutes a game. I think Sonny Hill was telling me about that. Well, man, it might have been forty eight minutes a game. That's crazy. Overtimes and stuff like that. You know, can you just imagine, That's guys? Crazy. That's you know, crazy. Doing work, doing that work doing that work and then he'd go in the bathroom and splash on the brute and then he was gone and he liked the night life. Splash on the brute. You know that right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was his commercial. He said, splash on my brute and then I'm gone, man. Is this true? Did we almost see Dr. J play with Oscar and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the Bucks? Yeah, well, it wasn't that close. <laughs> but the Bucks, wasn't that the close? Bucks drafted me. Mm. Bucks drafted me, and I was already a pro when they drafted me. So, okay. uh, as it turned out, uh, Wayne Embry had watched me play since uh, this camp that I went to when I was maybe about sixteen, and he had called me out of the crowd, and I had a big hand. He had a big hand. We played a little bit, so he had watched me, and he was the general manager there uh, when my class graduated. So he, I guess, he had followed me, you know, my college right. years. And, going right to uh, Virginia in the pros with the ABA. And he said, I'm going to take a shot on this draft because we got, they had two first round picks. So, uh, so they drafted with their early pick, another player who was really good. And then that, and then with the 12th pick, they picked me. And when they picked me, Atlanta jumped up and said, no, nah, you can't have him. We got a contract with him. <laughs> I signed a contract with Atlanta. And then uh, I, already, I also had a contract with Virginia. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so, I, so when when Milwaukee drafted me, I already had two contracts. Right. <laughs> oh. And uh, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, I stayed in Virginia, and that's you know that's when they opened the door for me and Iceman to you know to to be teammates too. So you know it's like take your pick. You know who, who would you rather be teammates with, Oscar and Kareem or Iceman or you know it's it's. Your fate is your fate. So it was it was my fate to go the latter route. This is what I need to know. So you know, you 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 and Ice is the, is the cool OGs, right? So when you when you first started getting the money where you felt comfortable, OG, what did you go buy? It was fly. I didn't see pictures of fur coats, fur hats. I did what type yeah. of whip what what did you do when you first got some money where you felt like, all right, I got Family good. I, I could do something nice for me. What did you do? Was it? Was it? He told us he got the triple black, the triple black El Dorado. <laughs> he said just like that. He said, "Young fella, I got the triple black." That's young fella, I say he <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I got the nice car. Uh, I got a, a blue on blue and blue 
Continental Mark III. Mm-hmm. So Mark III was out there, and I didn't go to get it. See, I took two friends with me from college. I took uh, Alonzo Somerville and Herman Curtis. You know, so we rode down there in my 1961 Chevy Impala. <laughs> <laughs> we rode down there and talked about trading it in for uh, really a, like a little coupe or something, you know, something new. And uh, every car that we test drove, all I heard was complaints. Man, it's too tight back here in the backseat. Man, <laughs> the ceiling is too low or whatever. So we come back, we get another car, a little bigger. So we, you know, we had, they were all four doors, but they were, they were, for next thing I know, after like three road trips with my boys and we got in that Continental, I heard no up. complaining. <laughs> Everybody was laid back. You know, it, so was much soft, it was all soft seats, plenty of headroom and all kinds of gadgets up there. Don't get in this spaceship. I, so I ended up, I ended up uh, trading my car for that one. And it cost, you know, down payment was maybe about $1,000, $2,000 because, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have no big bonus money or <laughs> whatever. But, you know, that was enough That was enough to to change the game. It was yeah. it was a game changer. I seen in an interview that you said that you, you try to dunk the ball at least once every year just to see if you still can dunk it. Is yeah. that still going on to this day? Yeah. It actually is not going on anymore. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. What, what, what was the age and how long did I got, it go? I, I was dunking up to age 63. Man. Mm. 63. I, 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 just for that, I, I make sure I do it. Okay. Like I make sure I give you a couple mm. of dunks a year. Uh, okay. I don't do nothing fancy. You know, these knees ain't going to take <laughs> yeah. a lot, but I, I give them a couple of dunks a year, and I just want to see yeah. what I need to get through. I need to get to 63. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you got to get to 63. I, I think Meek's going to pass because he, he's a like human highlight. Yeah. So he, I know he's dunking every year. And, you know, the bar's already set. Because I, I, did, <laughs> I didn't dunk at 64. You know, I stopped. I didn't even try. You know, oh, and and uh, then I had a shoulder problem, you know, uh, a couple of years ago. So I said, I'm just going to let it go. I ain't got no incentive. <laughs> you know, now, yeah. now something, there's some incentive out there. Uh, straight up. <laughs> you know, we might, you know, we might want to resurrect something. <laughs> uh, all right, man, that's a wrap, man. This has been amazing, man. OG, we appreciate you coming through, pulling up on us, spending some time. This has been huge, man. Everybody check it out. This is Julius to Dr. Irvin, man. Appreciate you, OG. Thank you, guys. All right, we want to thank y'all for your continued support of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give us two taps by writing a review and rating five stars wherever you get your podcast. And make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can also find all the episodes on the Players Tribune YouTube page. Follow us on social media at Knuckleheads Podcast and join our Knuckleheads Facebook group for exclusive content. Thanks again to all of our guests and fans. This wouldn't be possible without y'all. The Players Tribune dot com.